Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. My privilege and honor just to welcome you, however you're watching, whether you're watching online through our online connections or you're in one of our six locations because we are one church with one vision, one heart for King Jesus, but we're in multiple locations and multiple languages. And so you're not here by accident. God's got something for you. And so thank you for being here. And again, want to wish everybody and hope everybody has had and is having a a great holiday week here as we are in the middle of Thanksgiving. Hey, just a reminder, coming up, we have first Wednesday, December the 7th, December the 7th. That is uh, also a time where we're going to have a, a business meeting and look at and affirm our church budget. You've received maybe some emails, heard some things, just to give you some awareness of what's going on in that regard. And then today we are going to do Ripple Effect Part 16, and then we're pausing, and we're going to move into a Christmas series next week called Faith for Christmas. We'll have a New Year, January-type theme series after that, and then we'll come back to Ripple Effect Part 17 uh, later on in, in February. It's kind of like your TV shows, right? They pause and then they come back. But because we are in the middle of Thanksgiving week, what we're going to do today is we're going to summarize 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians all with a, with a theme and with a concept of thanksgiving. Now, here's what's true about all of us, right? All of us, all of us thank, all people think. We, 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 we can be thankful for the weather. We can be thankful for health. We can be thankful for our family. We can be thankful for our country. We, we can thank God for the beautiful view. We can, we can thank people for being kind to us, people for helping us. So all people think, right? But as Christ followers, the question I want us to look at today in a summation-type sermon of, of 1 Corinthians, 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians is, will Christ followers think differently than most other people? And, and, and the, the, the bottom line is we should, but do we? So will we think differently than most people? And if you think about it, like even someone who, who's not a Christian can thank God for health, can thank God for family, for friends, for jobs, for uh, en enough money to kind of pay the bills and, and take a nice little vacation. We can thank, uh, be thankful for the weather. We can be thankful for a good uh, boss or a good team that we're a part of. So everybody thanks, but as Christ followers, we have some ways that we can thank differently. And, and as we think about this, we can say it this way, that we, can th we are thankful for more. We have more to be thankful for than just the weather, more to be thankful for than just the meals that we receive or the money that we get paid because we have a job. We, we, can, we are thankful for more. And, and, and even like people that don't know Christ, even atheists say thanks. But shouldn't we thank and have more to be thankful for than most other people or the people that are not Christ followers? Because here's what we need to understand, right? There is a different relationship, and thus there's different favor and blessings and graces that Christ followers receive that other people don't. Jesus alludes to this, this dynamic in Matthew 5, 45, when he says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So this is commonly called common grace. It's good things that all people are beneficiaries of. It's good things that everyone can receive, such as sunshine 
air to breathe, rain on the crops, rain that, that fertilizes and helps the soil and things like that. So this is common grace, but there's a peculiar grace. There's saving grace. There's a different kind of grace and grace is that Christ followers receive, and those are the things that we can be thankful for. Another distinction is this, that we're thankful with great joy and hope because we understand all that we have in Christ, and it's marked with hope. A lot of people give thanks, and it's past tense, and it's present tense, but when they look ahead to the future, there's nervousness, there's anxiety, and there's stress. But because of Christ and all he's provided and all he's achieved and all he's promised, we have thankful, we're thankful for things that have, have not yet been achieved or not yet been realized because we know some things are coming that are amazing. And, and then finally, we're, not, we're thankful for the best. We're not just thankful for good things. We're thankful for ultimate things. We're thankful for the best things. Now, in light of this, I think it's even possible for us to be too thankful for the wrong things. Like, if you ever just listen and li listen to what you thank other people or, or, or what you thank God for, sometimes we're thankful for control, that we have control over certain situations or over certain aspects of our life. We're thankful for success in our vocation or in our sports or in our schoolwork or, or in, 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 our, in our hobbies or in our endeavors. We're thankful that, man, we've got acceptance from a good group of friends and a, and a family, and, and we're thankful for comfort and pleasure, and we're thankful for material things. The challenge of this is all of these things can be lost. All, all of these things can go away. All of these things can be very circumstantial. Substantial, and, and all of these things are, 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 are okay to thank God for, but we can be thankful for more because without knowing it, we can give thanks to God for idols that really are substitutes for God. So will we as Christ followers thank God differently? So as we summarize 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians, and we know that 1 Corinthians, if you've been tracking with us for the last 16 weeks or so, we know that 1 Corinthians is written in large part to correct and coach and discipline a church because there's some nasty, messy, crazy, goofy things going on in 1 Corinthians, and they live in a very cosmopolitan, very modern city for first century Rome. Right, and, and we've been tracking about that. But it's interesting is that the book of 1 Corinthians in, in, the first, in the fourth verse begins with thanksgiving. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. And this begins to open up for us a paradigm to think differently because we see the grace of God is undeserved. And it was given to us in Christ. So when we unite with Christ by faith in what he's done, there's amazing graces. There's amazing blessings, things for which we give thanks for. And they all flow because of the achievement of Jesus. So when we talk about the way we're going to, the, we're going to give four things we can be thankful for as Christ followers this Thanksgiving week, all four of these things flow from this. All four of these things were achieved by this God-man, Jesus Christ, and unleashed for us in his death for us, in his death instead of us on the cross. And one of the things that we said early in this series is this right here, this cross, 
was a gigantic like rock that you drop into a, a pond and it creates a ripple effect. This cross, God dropped it into human history. And when we put our faith and trust in this man, this God, man, Jesus, it's like a big rock that's dropped into our heart and it ripple effects out and it literally affects and touches everything. And that's, that's what we've been talking about. And so we said this early in the series, and I'm going to repeat it. When the achievement of the cross is minimized, the blessings released by the cross, what we can thank God for, because we want to thank God differently than others, the blessings released by the cross will be unrealized. And we use this quote that was so impactful to me, and I shared it with you in the early parts of this series. It's from Martin Luther. Do you feel as if Christ died only yesterday? Is his death for us instead of us so real, so true, where we so much, where we have such understanding of all the blessings, all the favors for which we can thank God for, were released when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? So, four ways, four things that we can be thankful for because of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to put together three verses that bring up a very, very common theme that we spend a lot of time talking about. To the church of God at Corinth, so we could say to the church of God at Rockbridge, to those sanctified, set apart in Christ, called, and that's the word, called as saints, called by God. There's a calling placed upon us with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this notion of being called by God, and then God calls us and we call back to him in faith, is he calls us through the cross, and this is a pervasive all-encompassing description of what it means to be saved, what it means to be adopted, what it means to be brought into the forever family of God. So the first thing that we want to thank God for that needs to be on our list is we Christ followers are thankful for the calling God has placed on our lives. Now we all know that when you're called, like the boss called and, and invited you to, uh, for the, to give you the promotion, the team called, the coach called to tell you you made the team. I mean, we understand there's some specialness to being called. When, when someone even just calls you to say hello or texts you to say hello, there's something that makes you feel valuable and special and worthy. Now, here's the distinction, though. We're called not because of any worth in us. We're called because of the grace of God toward us that God made a way to call us out of darkness, to call us out of lostness, to call us out of our independence from God and our rebellious state against Him and to call us to Him into relationship. So we thank God for that calling, and it needs to be the defining characteristic of how we understand who we are. 
That, that is, it's more defining than where you were born. It's more defining than what you do for a living. It's more defining than what people say or said about you or might say or could say about you. It is the defining characteristic of the Christ follower is I have been, I have been called. I have a calling from almighty, gracious God on my life, and it drives me and it governs me and it motivates me and it, and it, it gives me confidence in who I am in Christ. There's four ways or four, there's four senses of what, of what being called means. First is we're called out. Christians are called out. Some of you here today listening today, God may be calling you out of something. And here's what he calls us out of. The, 118 says it this way, the word of the cross, the cross speaks to us, calls us, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But, to, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. So we're called out from lostness, from perishing, from life apart from God. We're called out by the word of the cross. So in a sense, we're all called out. In a second sense, another sense, we're called up. We're called up. We're called to live up to something that God has made available to us. Listen to how the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 describes it. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? We have a calling. We're not called just to walk around and, 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 and live for a paycheck or live for retirement. We are called up to be the temple of a holy God. That's, that's it's greater than significant, it's greater than existence, it's, it's high and holy significance. And then he reminds us, you're not your own, for you were bought at a price, the cross. So glorify God with your body. We're called up to live at a higher level, to live above our circumstances, to live above what the world says we're supposed to live for. We're called up. A third calling is we're called into we're called into. What are we called into? Listen, in the description of the Lord's Supper, which we talked about last week, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? So we're uniting with Christ in this fellowship because there is one bread. We who are many, church, are one body since all of us share one bread. We're called into the family of God. Part of our calling of God calling us out of darkness, God calling us up, God calls us out, is he calls us into to be a part of the family of God. And we can thank God that that's part of our calling, that we have a church, that we have people who pray for us, who know us, who will love us to, enough to tell us when we're wrong or to, to help us get back on the right track, et cetera, et cetera. So we're called into. And then the final aspect of our calling is we're called to. We're called to something. Yeah, we're called out of lostness and darkness and confusion and chaos and rebellion. Yeah, we're called up to live for something greater than ourselves, something that our souls need and we're wired for. But we, so often we settle for less. And we're called into the family of God, but we're called to. Listen to how Paul says it in verse 9, verse, chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful. You are called by him. There it is again into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're called to Christ. 
We're united with Christ. That the great thanksgiving is, the greatest thing we have to be thankful for is we're called back to God. We're called to God, into relationship with Him. And, and so the beautiful thing about this calling and the blessing that it unleashes in our lives is God is the source of it. He makes it happen unilaterally without any contribution by us. And He's the substance of the blessing of being called. When God calls us, he calls us to himself, and we enjoy him. So part of thanksgiving for Christ followers is this. It's not just being thankful when we can have more from God. It's being thankful that we can have more of God. And that's our holy calling. The second area where we can be thankful differently than other people <coughs> comes to us in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. It says, the person without the Spirit, so that would be someone who's not a Christ follower, does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He's, he's dull, he's darkened, he's not awakened to these beauties of being called. He is not able to understand it since it's evaluated or appraised or assessed spiritually. But the spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. And then he says this, we have the mind of Christ. So the second way we can be thankful differently than others as Christians is we're thankful for the mind of Christ. In other words, we know how to think correctly about things. We know how to look at things with the right perspective. We don't always do it, but we have the capacity from God to look at the world, to look at tragedy, to look at prosperity, to look at life, to look at ourselves, to look at other people to, to, through a different lens. And it's not, sometimes we look at things in a way that causes us fear, that causes us anxiety, that causes us stress. Sometimes we look at things that, that invite us to enslave ourselves to evil or enslave ourselves to addictive behaviors or bad habits. The mind of Christ ensures we can always think correctly, we can always think accurately, we can think biblically and never be enslaved, but move forward with the right perspective. And this is because we understand Christ and the gospel. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. This is the wisdom of God. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification, and he's our redemption. So, in other words, this is how we look at everything. This is the lens. This is the rubric. This is the perspective. So when we look at ourselves, we look at ourselves through the lens of this act of love, this display of God, this satisfaction of, the, of God's justice and holiness. We look at ourselves that way. When we look at the world, we look at it through this lens. So now we know how to think correctly. And if we know how to think correctly, your life is always going to move in the direction of your controlling and dominant thoughts and thinking. Say that again. Your life, my life, is always going to move in the direction of your controlling and dominant thoughts and thinking. So if our thoughts are controlled by the mind of Christ, we can have the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, and the hope of Christ. Because we have the perspective of Christ. He's our wisdom from God. Related to that thinking, 
is this is the understanding of how, how do we live our lives? Better yet, how, how do we live the best life? Well, 1 Corinthians uses this, or Paul in 1 Corinthians uses this analogy of running a race. And he says this in verse 24, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way to win the prize. So there's a way you and I need to run or need to live. And Christ followers are thankful that we know how to live the best life. Isn't that a, a pervasive question in culture? And, and we'll try a lot of different things, and, and, and we'll think this is the path, and this is the way, and it'll dead end, or it'll run out, or we'll get bored or tired of it, and we'll move to something else. Tons of advice, tons of magazines on the rack in the grocery store, tons of blogs, tons of podcasts, how to live the best life. Not a mystery for Christ followers. The age-old question, why am I here? The hunt for purpose. The desire for significance. Purpose and significance, those are God-given desires. Now, they've been corrupted by self, sin, and Satan. But it's not a mystery for us. So I thank God. I don't always live the best life, but in Christ, I know how to, and I know what it looks like. The best life is defined and driven by the gospel. The calling we have is defined and driven and fueled by the gospel. Another way we said it is the gospel is my why. The gospel is my explanation. The gospel is my motivation. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right Instead, we endure everything so that you will not, so we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. In other words, when people say, Paul, why do you do what you do? He doesn't say, because it's my right. He doesn't say, because I want to do it my way. He says, I do everything for the gospel. Another attribute or a, a, a description of the best life is the best life runs from idols. Because we understand anything that is in competition with God or a substitute for God is our enemy. And it is a threat to our eternal joy and happiness. It is a threat to the best life. It is not what Christ, it's what Christ died to liberate us from. And, and so we understand I have got to be vigilant against idolatry. Paul says it this way in 1014. My dear friends, flee from idolatry. Paul spends a lot of time talking about love and what does love look like. And so we understand that the best life, the, the Christ-bought life, seeks to get love right and not insist on one's rights. Paul says it this way in 10.23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up or edifies. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. In other words, in all the debates that we hear in so many circles, political circles, career circles, even in families, everybody's insisting on me, myself, and I. Everybody's looking at things through the lens of what's best for me. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not the best life. The self-centered, self-driven, self-oriented life is not the best life. The best life is the life that seeks to give more than it takes. The best life is the life that seeks to get love right. Love is displayed on the cross. 
And then the final description of the best life is the best life enjoys God. Not just believes in God. Not just turns to God in a 911 moment. Not just comes back to God and, and winks and nods at Him at Christmas and Easter and occasionally. But enjoys God. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And we asked ourselves this question, how do you glorify an all-sufficient, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient being? How do you glorify an already all-glorious God? I can't add to His glory, but I can enjoy His glory. I can enjoy His presence. I can enjoy the life He died for me to receive. I can thank Him in all things because he, I know He's working all things out for my good and His glory. So living for the glory of God is how I enjoy, is enjoying God is living for the glory of God. We use this analogy if you were here. We said, you know, if I go to the Grand Canyon... I can't add to its grandeur, but I can enjoy it. If somebody cooked you an amazing Thanksgiving meal, you don't just go in the kitchen and say, hey, you should have added this, you should have added this. What do you do? You ask for seconds, you ask for thirds, you ask for fourths, and you say thank you to the people who prepared it. And that gives glory to the cooks, right? So we enjoy God and give glory to God. We, we give glory to God because we enjoy God. And that's the highest joy, the greatest joy, and that's the joy that we'll spend all of eternity enjoying as we bask and enjoy more of the glory of God. And then finally, Paul starts talking about the future in 1 Corinthians. It comes up repeatedly. Probably the clearest is in 925. He says, they do it. They do what they do. He's talking about athletes who run. But they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. A reward that won't fade, that won't run out, an imperishable reward. And so Christ's followers are thankful that the best is yet to come. You know, sometimes a lot of our Thanksgiving as we look back over the past year and we realize, you know, gosh, we had a meal, or we realize we had a job. We have a job, and most things are, most of us are healthy. Some, you know, all of those things, and so it's all past oriented. But a lot of our thankfulness as Christ followers is future directed, because we know the world's broken. We know the things that we thanked God for last month could be taken next month. We know there's no promises of certain life expectancy. There's no promises that Christians won't be persecuted. There's no promises that there won't be another pandemic. But there is a promise that we'll receive an imperishable crown. And listen, I know that sometimes holidays are hard. And I know that sometimes some people, the first Thanksgiving without a loved one, First Thanksgiving since the divorce. Or you're going through Thanksgiving while you're also walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Adversity or trials. You know, the first Thanksgiving that was given, there was literally not a single family on the Mayflower that hadn't suffered loss. They'd buried a parent or a sibling They'd experienced illness and adversity, and yet still they realized they had more in Christ to be thankful for 
than they had to grieve or mourn. That's the history of the holiday. Christians just said, hey, we're always getting better than we deserve. And the best is yet to come. Christ followers are thankful. It's not yet here, but it's promised. And it's a promise backed by the blood of Jesus and the empty tomb signifying he is risen and his word is good. Now, as we close, I think Thanksgiving and a summation message like this is really an invitation and an opportunity. First, to be just open and honest, there's dangers when our thanksgiving is amiss or not existent. There's dangers. Paul talks about them in Romans 1. He says this, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You know, there's no good people in the world apart from what Christ has done. There's guilty people, but no good people. But look what it says. Yes, they knew God, but they would not glorify him as God or even give him thanks. So thanklessness could be a warning sign against the condition of our soul. Or if you realize this weekend that the four things I shared about what Christ followers are thankful for, you realize you can't thank, you're not thankful for those things because you don't have those things. But here's the good news. Remember what I read in Romans 1.18, the anger of God was directed at wickedness. The anger of God was directed at sinfulness. And a symptom of that wickedness is thanklessness. Or not being able to thank God for all God is and all God has done. Well, all that anger was placed on his, his son, Jesus Christ. All that anger against my, my sins, my rebellion, my thanklessness was directed right here. And this day, you can see Christ... And see that it should have been you there, but it wasn't. You can see that he did this to die for you, to satisfy God's anger against you. God's justice is satisfied, but also to show that's how much he loves you. And today you can say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to be able to thank you for those four things, being called. I want to be able to thank you that I'm hearing the word of the cross this morning, that I'm being called. 
Jesus, I want to receive your mind, your perspective, your outlook on things. Jesus, I want to thank you for showing me how to live the best life. And I believe the best life is going to be following you. And Jesus, I need hope to know the best is yet to come. If that captures some of what the Holy Spirit might be doing in you, on you right now, would you just surrender to the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus crucified. Make him your Lord, your King, your Savior. Let him become wisdom from God for you. And thank God in a new way right now. Because we'll thank him forever for what's yet to come. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, a lot of stuff that we said thanks for this week can be measured. God is so glorious and so gracious and so great. We'll spend eternity enjoying immeasurable riches. That's how great, how glorious, and how gracious He is. And we give Him glory for that. And we thank Him for who He is. All He's done and all He's going to do. God, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for calling through the cross. God, we thank you for giving us your mind, your perspective, so we can see the world in a way that doesn't defeat us. But we see the world in a way that gives us peace and joy and hope that passes understanding. God, we thank you that we know how to live, we know how to run. And we thank you for the immeasurable riches, knowing that the best is yet to come. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just spend a moment in the quietness of wherever you are thanking God? And if you need to thank him because right now you're becoming a Christ follower, a son or daughter of his, you thank him for saving you, for adopting you, for dying instead of you, and that you're going to follow him from this day forward with thankfulness. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray and we thank. Amen.